You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. We have a wonderful guest today. We always have wonderful guests, but this person, individual, is a delight. I've met her at cons. She's always so sweet and charming and really freaking smart and talented. And uh, I really enjoy talking with her, Bonnie Wright. If you like this episode, we urge you to stick around because uh, we talk about mental health, life, all that stuff that really helps everyone out there. It's not just a celebrity chat. And we hope you get something out of it. And I think that the, the show has been a little more successful because we keep it real here. So if you really enjoy this episode, I, I hope you'll subscribe and listen to more episodes because I think you'll learn something. Uh, the uh, handles on socials, Ryan. At Inside of You Pod on X. Or Twitter. At Inside of You Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. That's right. You can watch on YouTube and all that. Uh, you can go to the Inside of You online store and get tons of Smallville merch, signs, scripts, pictures, uh, ship keys from the show, and uh, a bunch of cool uh, Inside of You merch new tumblers and zip up jackets that are dope. Um, so really appreciate it. Um, also my band sunspin, go to sunspin.com, get a zoom with me, listen to our music. We're coming out with a new album. We've got vinyls, um, on the inside of you online store available. Um, actually sunspin.com is where you get your vinyls. There's not many vinyls left. We made vinyls, Ryan. Very exciting. That's stuff. very exciting. Very exciting stuff. Um, weird and wild stuff. Weird wild stuff. And yeah. you can also, for upcoming cons, go to my link tree on at the Michael Rosenbaum on Instagram. And you can see, you know, my cameo and where I'm going, Tom Welling and I doing cons and evening events with me and Tom and so much stuff, fun stuff. And uh, I hope you'll uh, keep supporting the podcast by joining patreon.com slash inside of you to give back to the show if you're enjoying it. And um, yeah, it keeps us going. Without you, we couldn't do it. So without further ado, let's get into the fascinating, wonderful Bonnie Wright. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Hey, folks wanted to highlight something important before today's episode. In case you weren't aware, myself and many of the guests are on strike alongside SAG-AFTRA and WGA. Today's episode and any we air before the strike ends were recorded before it began. So this is just a heads up in relation to some for the topics we may discuss. If you want more info on the strike, visit SAGAfterStrike.org. Now let's get into it. Did you did you come from like a um, a family that was very proper or very, you know, because sometimes the stereotype is and look, my my dad's not English, but he was, you know, I grew up with someone who was, you know, emotionally not there. Mm -hmm. So I'm just wondering sometimes, you know, uh, I wonder how, you know, upbringings from friends. Yeah, and, yeah. How was your uh, sort of life? I wouldn't say proper in that like. um in that, you know, manners were more important than emotions. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I definitely was able to express my emotions before I worried, like, how I looked or how I sat at the table. But at the same <laughs> time, yeah, I definitely was caught out often by my parents of doing something that was, I don't know, elbows on the table or eating with my mouth full or those obvious things that I'm pleased they taught me how to do oh see my parents didn't really do that and that's <laughs> hence you see me and you're like that, that's why he's this guy but you know what my dad did do 
did do, what he did do, what he did do, what he did <laughs> was I remember him yelling at me one day at the kitchen table because I had, we were eating meat. I don't remember meatloaf. My mom had made this meatloaf. Oh my God. Meat. I don't want to talk about it, <laughs> but I remember I had milk. I had a glass of milk. I felt like a glass of milk and he goes, take that milk away from the table right now. Put it away. You don't, you don't have milk at the dinner table. And I, I, I don't to this day know why. <laughs> no sense. I, you like the pairing is great. You should, you should try it. Yeah. But it never talked about me leaning or putting my elbows on the table mm. or uh, were, I mean, your parents seem like they, they were jewelry. They had a jewelry store, right? Yeah. Yeah. They still do. So yeah, they still, yeah. How many still. years? Oh, uh, probably four, 45 years. They've been working together or maybe more. Long time. What's it called? Right jewelry. Uh, right and Teague. So right my mom's last name is Teague. Yeah. Really. So yeah, their whole life and work and everything is together. Do you find jewelry interesting, or do you like you do? Yeah. You think that what you parents? It's pretty hard not to. <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think to not just jewelry how it looks, but also I respect their like craft behind it and the the technicality behind it, and I feel having grown up around that and then also growing up around everyone's incredible technical skills and crafts on a film set i feel like i have great respect for people who are really good at their field if that makes right sense. when your husband asked you to marry him when mm -hmm. he gave you a ring mm -hmm. did he go to your parents for the <laughs> ring yeah he also knew i'd be so picky that we actually like designed it together so it wasn't it wasn't a surprise <laughs> really <laughs> yeah i wanted to be part of the yeah, the choosing of the stone and the making it with my parents. Did he get and... a discount from your parents? <laughs> yeah, you don't so. I mean, the... yeah, come on, of course. Of course. They're like, yeah. yeah, we'll give you 10%. Yeah, You're marrying our daughter. <laughs> would they have been pissed if he didn't ask them to? Do... Oh, yeah. That would just be. You just, wouldn't have gotten married no, to him, probably. No, You'd be like, like, are you kidding me? You got it all wrong. Yeah, yeah right? Mm -hmm. It's like your parents owning a big hotel and he's like, mm, I'm going to stay somewhere else. Yeah. It's just rude. There's also, no why there. when it's just there for you, you don't even have to make a choice. It's ready. Yeah. But then he probably thought I would have been like paranoid at the thought of maybe, I don't know, it's too easy. She's going to think that it was so easy. So I just went to her parents. I took advantage. But that's not how it worked. No, no. Huh. Considering I don't wear any other jewelry that's by anyone else but my parents. So it's not even like there's stuff styled into my life that's not made by them. But most of the stuff you do wear is from your parents? Yeah, all of it. I've never. Wait, what? What? You've yeah. never owned any jewelry other than what your parents have made? No. So, Why? Well, I, I love it so much and it's there and it's accessible. It's like a girl's dream, just having like a jewelry box that's just never ending. You can call whenever you want. You're like, what do you call your dad? Dad? Dad, yeah. Not Papa? What do the English say? Just dad? Uh, dad, yeah. Just daddy? Just dad. Or oh, daddy. <laughs> daddy. Not just dad. Oh, I want an impolution now. <laughs> yeah. no. I want it. <laughs> do, you, do you call and say, um, I really want this necklace, like a necklace that's, you know, made of whatever. Could you guys do that for me? Uh, I've never really done like custom things with them because that's not really what they do. But I feel like anytime I'm like in their workshop or their space, I, you know, try things on and oh, that looks so nice. And Do you just I take it? Sometimes or just given in that way. But often most of the time when I get new jewelry is uh, like every birthday is usually when I get a piece of jewelry. 
Do they ever say, no, Bonnie, you cannot have that. It's too expensive. You need to sell that. <laughs> Sometimes. Like, you can have that in silver, not gold. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing. I mean, were they were they tough on you at all? Or were they, you know, sort of like, um, we just want you to be happy? Because some, you know, parents are different. Some parents are like, I want you to do this. You're going to go to school. You're going to get an education. You're going to do this. And mm-hmm. others are just sort of like, I don't really care. I'm not, you know. Yeah, I feel... Yeah, there was never a pressure to do a certain thing or like continue education or kind of act or different things like that. It was very much like, are you, do you like this idea? Are you happy? If you're happy, then great. I think there are definitely people who love and seek like life experiences that are challenging and inspiring. So if they feel like I'm being challenged and inspired, then they probably think it's the right way to go i'm sure there's been times in my life where they've kind of hold held their opinions and let me figure it out for myself as we all should make mistakes and do different things but there was never yeah like a a pressure so to speak i mean i definitely they definitely have a strong work ethic and they they're very um creative and they like to produce a lot of things so that kind of level of uh that was instilled expression on you, sort and, of like yeah, inadvertently like they just just yeah. from them doing it was enough for you to go i need to do this i want i'm compelled mm-hmm. to do this yeah i definitely think i was never going to become like a lazy person or a like a non-creative person <laughs> having grown up with them it was kind what, of what like about a, your brother Did he's he... uh an artist he went to art school too and studied fine art and he yeah so he also is in the creative world does he ever ask for residuals from the harry potter movies because i i I read (laughs) that is it true that he was the one who was reading the uh the books and then Mm -hmm. he says to you um you know you just remind me of jenny weasley yeah he was really specific people like heard that they were making them into movies and auditioning and he was like you need to go for the role of Ginny Weasley I was like okay don't even know who that is or like what this book is but sounds fun did you read it before you so yeah for the before I went to the first audition I read the first book um which Ginny isn't really in that much at all so yeah. I didn't really get a sense of her she obviously comes through more in in the second book um but I yeah it was very much you know, I looked up to my brother massively and was very in awe of him. So if he had like an idea, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. And I'm grateful he had that great casting ability to. I mean, uh, what are the odds though? Could you imagine your brother just goes, you should be this character. Go find a way to audition for the, one of the biggest <laughs> movies ever. That I guess you knew the books were huge. So it was potential that the movies were going to be yeah. big. But like, I, I mean, where do you even go? Is it something that, I mean, where did you grow up in London? Mm-hmm. So they just had casting in London? No, it wasn't like an open casting. So my mom, I think like, yeah, I think they came home from work and we were like, we want to we want to find out how, how we get an audition in Harry Potter. My parents are like, I have no idea. We don't know anything in anyone in the entertainment industry. So my mom being clever and like ready for the challenge of like figuring it out, called the publishers in the UK, which is the Bloomsbury Publishers. They gave her the casting casting director's number uh, or contact or whatever she contacted them and they said okay sure if you want to send in some pictures of bonnie and if she could write a couple sentences of who why she wants to play Ginny, and what did you say i don't know my mum still has the little the sentences somewhere i wrote down i have to find it Um, i think she's confident and smart and i think um i'd be a great Ginny. um you were nine (laughs) yes i was nine and then i went yeah for 
it, in total, just two auditions. One just with the casting director and then the second with David Heyman, the producer, and Christopher Columbus, the director. How how big was the, uh, how, how, how many lines did you have for this audition? So I didn't even, so because Ginny had no lines in the first film, the actual line I had in the film, which was one line was given to me on the day. Chris Columbus was like, At I think you need a line. At the train station or whatever. Yeah, which is my good luck to Harry. Um, so I actually read Hermione lines because they didn't have any other scene for me to read. So they were like, okay, you're going to have to just read this character. So I read, yeah. And were you nervous? Yeah, I was nervous. I think I You've done some plays in school, but nothing yeah, really nothing. big. I honestly did not think I was going to get it. I was just like, this could be fun. Let's go see what an audition's like. You know, I wasn't, I was someone who as a kid, like loved taking part in everything, but I was never, and still not, like I'm not competitive. Like I love, like for instance, I used to love sports, but I never probably would have gotten anywhere because I just- right wasn't competitive so my brother and I were just like let's go and just figure like check this out kind of thing and did not you know just walked away from the first audition being like I don't know what that was you know I don't think forgot so. about it that yeah. was fun moving on and then it was quite a while after where I, when I actually we got like the call back to then come and meet um David Heyman and Christopher Columbus and I was like then I was like way more nervous for that <laughs> I was like oh gosh I'm meeting to- with the guy who uh, found America. No, no, it's not that Christopher Columbus. Come on. Not that one. Um, <laughs> please, it was the other one. Um, but yeah, so I was like pretty nervous. Wow. Yeah. And then still, you know, I just was like, oh, anyone going for this audition has probably been acting since they were like crawling around in commercials. Yeah. I don't know, like since they were babies. So, and I think, you know, a lot, a lot of us hadn't had any experience no. when we were cast in those movies. And I think that was a good thing in a way because all of us were kind of open for the experience and we didn't have too much of a idea or like a kind of, we weren't overly sort of aware of ourselves. Or prepared. Or, or prepared. You we're just, just kids like, playing kids. are just kids. Yeah. And that was all of them. That was Matthew Lewis, mm-hmm. our friend. Um, Neville Longbottom that was Tom Felton yeah who hadn't done much right he had done yeah The Borrowers do you remember that no it's a great film but it was he a great was film also oh, he had he had done a little bit and Daniel Fe- had done a bit the he, Phelps brothers they hadn't done anything they hadn't done no. anything so yeah a lot of people that's gotta be comforting knowing no one else knows what the hell we were doing either except for the for older sure. guys yeah I think the hardest thing for me was when I had my scene they'd already been sort of halfway through the shoot so when I stepped on oh. you know that that kind of everything had been a bit uh, figured out and so I was definitely very nervous and felt like I was just totally in the deep end of the pool like what am I doing um but I was really lucky Julie Walters who plays my mom in the mm-hmm. film Mrs. Weasley really took me under her wing and saw that I was probably just like a deer in headlights just what is going on I don't know anything about any technical... do you still talk to her I haven't seen her in a long time but yeah we still are in contact and she yeah she really made me feel safe and like I was meant to be there so I'm very grateful for that. I mean you know what I think I think like okay the books you know even in the books well how many had all the books come out when the movies were being made? No. no. So everyone's fate of their character wasn't even Right decided. because if you knew that you ended up with Harry at the end like if you knew it from the beginning you'd be like well they've got to I mean this is a part that has to keep going. But you didn't know that.
Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. You know I use Shopify. You guys go on the, you know, Inside of You online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify, I can't think of anyone else that would do this uh, the right way like Shopify does. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. It's so easy to navigate. And when you want to add discounts, like for instance, I just had a discount where I put uh, Michael 15, and that was my discount code. How much of a percent? 15% off the total order. Easy. Adding products. It's so easy. You put a picture. You just upload a picture. You put a description. It, 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 it does everything for you. And the analytics are so easy to use. Uh, this is the most selling product. Oh, I should get more of those. This is the least selling product. This is how much I made for this month compared to last year or last month. It's so easy to navigate. I feel like a pro and Shopify has really helped me do that. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside, all lowercase. Shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside. 
Hey there, folks. It's Michael Rosenbaum, and boy, have I got a huge announcement for you. This has been a long time coming, and it's finally here. I'm doing a live podcast. My podcast, Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum, is going live. Yeah, for the first time ever on Wednesday, October 11th at the iconic Regent in Los Angeles. And guess what? I'm not going to be alone. Um, we're bringing a guest you might remember. He's been on the podcast. He's a friend of the show, the one, the only, Zachary Levi. We're going to catch up on life and mental health, and we're going to have a really good time with all of you. I think you know that. We're going to make it a lot of fun. We're planning a Q&A, maybe some fun games, other exclusive stuff you're only going to get by seeing it live. We're even hosting a VIP meet and greet for a small number of people before the show begins. Grab your tickets, mark your calendars, and get ready for the night of laughs, insights, and unforgettable moments. Tickets are limited, so don't miss your chance to join us on October 11th at The Regent in Los Angeles. Get your tickets now at insideofyoulive.com. This is going to be an epic night, so if you're in the area, come out, and I'll see you there. How many books were out by this time? I think there were four or three, definitely three, maybe four. And but no one told you what was no, going to happen. No, no, didn't know. So yeah, I mean, every time a book came out, you know, I'm, I was there at the bookstore the day it came out, like everyone else, like reading it, and it was always hard because I. You know, I loved the world. I loved the story. I loved the book. But of course, you're not not going to be reading the book. And every time Ginny pops up, you're going to be like, oh, what's she doing kind of thing. So it was always quite a disjointed reading experience because you kind of were reading it like for the story and the wider narrative. And yeah. then also just projecting, oh, gosh, I might have to do this now in, in the film. And when, yeah, when, but when did you know that, like, did they tell you after the first one that you're coming back? Um, yeah, I think um, the first... I think so. I think they knew they were going to make t two. I think that I can't even remember now, but I think they knew they were going to make two and kind of like made everyone commit to the two. But then for a lot of the films, it was just like they kind of committed just one at a time. And then I think by the fourth or fifth one, it was like, okay, everyone, you got to commit to the end now. Like you're either in it or not, which I get if they didn't want someone being, you know, that character and everyone associating that actor with that character and then suddenly not completing the full, you know, eight films. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty obvious that they were going to make them all and they were very successful. So, yeah. Did you, uh, was, did you remember anyone ever getting fired or was supposed to play a part and then they didn't continue it and someone else can, besides obviously, you know, Richard Harris passed away. Mm -hmm. And so Michael Gambone yeah, took played. over. Um, not that I remember. Um, you weren't privy to that. I wasn't privy to that, but there wasn't anyone, you know, who came and then they sort of disappeared um, that I was aware of. Right. Unless they were very good at, you know, hiding their yeah. Yeah. <laughs> secrets. Did you, who did you notice? Like, what, what comes to mind when you think of like, besides yourself, how much you grew as an actor? Mm -hmm. But who else, when you were watching, because you really started with all these young kids, mm -hmm. your peers. Who did you notice, wow, they really became a great actor. They they really impressed you. Mm -hmm. it was I feel Rupert, who plays Ron, I feel like his his just ability to play that comedic timing and his ease of his the way he played Ron was just so brilliant to watch. I feel like as we all were kids playing kids, I feel like there was a massive part of Ron probably inside him as his own character. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like... 
yeah, there were parts of his character that became more challenging and not just this comedic kind of role. So it was always lovely watching him. And I think he was very effortless in the way he acted or it seemed that way. I'm sure it wasn't in right. his practice. But um, I also think, you know, um, there's obviously Harry, Ron, Hermione, but then there's also Neville, Luna and Ginny that really kind of club together as this kind of group in the fifth um, film with Dumbledore's army. And then they really go through to kind of be their kind of sidekicks, I guess, in some of the big showdown moments. So yeah. I really enjoyed working with, you know, Ivana and Matt and having that big opportunity we had for our characters to just get just that bit more into the action. And it was really lovely to like work alongside them as we kind of had that opportunity. And I think all of us, were, the three of us were like very grateful for that for our characters. So yeah. it was nice to share that together. What about your parents? What are they thinking now that this your mom helps you sort of find the publishers who find this who you get an audition and you meet chris columbus and you get the part and you have one line that you improvise on or they gave you on set and they're like oh okay that's cute she's part of this big thing but you know when did they go oh my gosh this is <laughs> you are a part of that you really are a part of this yeah i think it was also Sometimes even when we were filming it, hard to fathom the scale as it was like growing into this phenomenon. And I think often it was really weirdly the premieres that made you kind of just hit, just the noise of the fans in Leicester Square and hearing like, oh, whoa, it, it's a huge, this is a massive deal. And, you know, every year we I went to the premieres with my family and it always felt like they were the moments where we kind of looked at each other like, what is this? What? what are we in? Like, this is wild. Um, so it was always fun to, to feel, feel those moments. Cause often it was such a kind of close knit community on the set. Sometimes it didn't even just became really normal, you know, yeah. as life does, whatever you, your normal is. Um, so those were kind of cool. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they were as any parent is like worried as well as excited just to make sure that I feel Safe. Yeah, safe, protected, you know, happy, still doing it. You know, I think you, from nine to 19 years old, as I was in the Jeez. series, like that's a massive period of your life where like a lot is going on. You I know? mean, you're really growing up. Yeah. And you still have a lot to do. You know, I mean, 19 is still young, mm -hmm. you know, so, but those are like, that's 10 years of your life. That's half of your first 19 years you're on set you're experiencing this world fame mm -hmm. how did you take it like when did people recognize you instantly yeah i mean obviously as the character grew it was like an inevitable um uh thing that would grow into being more recognizable i mean i feel on the scale of some of the other actors i feel you know i had a relatively like i could still have a normal life you know i took the tube to school and i went you know, I lived in the heart of London and I was kind of out and about and doing my thing. You know, there were some days where you did suddenly be like, oh my God, I want to, you know, run away and hide in a box or something. And then other days it was like, kind of forgot that I was, played this big character. Um, so it ebbed and flowed. And I think as you're going through those kind of awkward teenage years, sometimes it's quite difficult because you often just want to kind of be swallowed up with the crowd as you sometimes do as a teenager yeah. in those awkward days or moments when you don't feel great. So that was sometimes challenging just when you're kind of figuring out who you are anyway. And yeah. then people have this idea of who you are. Right. It's like, a, oh yeah, I guess I'm that person, but I'm also like 
all these other people that I'm figuring out. Yeah. <clears throat> Were you, um, it just seems like I was so immature. I'm still immature. But I, I feel like if I had that sort of fame, I don't know, I might be like, you know, kind of acting a certain way. Maybe in front of my parents, like, um, you're talking to a star. Hello, <laughs> jeweler. Listen. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, were you at all? Did you ever, did your mom ever have to put you in place? You're like, all right, listen, Miss Actress. Do you remember being a young actress, you know, actor? And then like, listen, all right, you're, you're not in this house. I mean, you do just, you remember any of that? I don't think I ever, I hope was never like that. It was never like put in my place for, <laughs> from my behavior. I think it was more just sometimes realizing the opportunity and privilege I had through that role and what I was able to do. I think my parents like kept me level-headed in that way. But I honestly think all of us, because we were, we had each other and we were the same age and we were kind of experiencing this thing at the same time. I think it was much easier than what I could maybe imagine being like a single child actor on a predominantly, you know, adult set. Cause yeah. you are, you kind of, don't know exactly where you where are you still a child or are you now just entirely a professional so I kind of loved the fact that we were all a similar age and off camera we were doing our classes together and studying and just doing normal kid things and teenage things so that kind of was super helpful it felt less isolating in that way which is I think when you start to think you're above others when you begin to be a bit isolated I think you you know it's oh it's also upbringing and how you For treat sure, other yeah. people. And, you know, some people don't have that and they become mm-hmm. something that they probably wish they hadn't become. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good to have good mentors, good people around you, good friends around you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially when you're growing up, you're growing up in, in, in movies. You're growing up in this huge franchise. So that's got to be difficult, even though you you know, you seem normal, you know, mm-hmm. you seem like everything's going and you know, when you look back and like, it was relatively normal as, as normal as it could be. Mm-hmm. But, um, did you ever deal with any sort of like anxiety or any kind of depression? Like as a kid? Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel there was anxiety towards sort of, you know, performing and doing the best thing as the pressure, like as my character built, for instance, it's like, oh gosh, will I do justice to this character that people love, you know? So that was always kind of hard to do, especially when, you know, inevitably a lot of the scenes of every character kind of was chopped down from the book to the film. So you kind of didn't really have as much to kind of show in the film. So sometimes that was a a little disappointing because there were parts of the character that just didn't get to come through um, because there weren't the scenes to do that. So that made me feel like a bit anxious or just frustrated, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Because as great as you were in in the movies, it's like, you know, some people say you were, you know, you were underserved or like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, the book, she should have been more explored. This character was yeah. even better. You know, you could have, they could have made it, you know, and then of course the, the contrast or the, the, you know, I'm sure they thought we have so many, so much to do and so little time and mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I'm sure it was a battle. The older you get and the more you realize this is an integral part of the, the movie, yeah. the, the franchise. And I want my character. Did you have conversations with the producers about it? I mean, not really. I just don't think you, I mean, there was just no room for much change in those scripts. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's a million executives like oh. going through them all. And I think what I maybe took, which I don't take so much to heart now is I kind of felt that like, you know, maybe my anxiety was about like, oh, I'm going to be 
seen as like badly portraying this character rather than later realizing, well, I wasn't really given the opportunity to do that. So it wasn't really my, you know, fault exactly. And, and, you know, when, when fans do share that kind of disappointment and they they do it in a way that like we know it wasn't we want you, you, you know we just wanted more of you and you know that's the same with every character i mean if only they could have been five hour long movies but it would have taken probably two <laughs> yeah. years to film each yeah. one or something you know i think about like you know i've talked to matthew about it and some of the other guys and gals and you know it's in, in the beginning it's like be thankful this is what you're paying it's not much but that's what you're getting was mm-hmm. there ever a time where you're like okay we can actually renegotiate now because i'm not i'm in all of these i'm in i'm in the second one let's start so you did renegotiate and all that right uh, like in terms of as the films went on yeah kind of yeah i mean obviously you had kind of your people to do that and help you to you're govern like t- that yes, and understand yes. it but yeah obviously each kind of you know that you're integral to to the narrative and the storyline and the amount of days I was also filming was obviously growing too. So yeah, I feel, I always felt like I was well, like respected for my character and how she grew and developed. And I feel we were incredibly looked after on those, you know, films in the sense of too, like the ability to continue my education was never, was always incredibly supported and I was given so much to be able to do that. I didn't feel like my life stopped and I had to just give my entire life to this film. Like, so that was very important to me. You know, the the forgotten people a lot of times on these movies and TV shows or whatever are the crew Mm -hmm. and how hard they work. And not only that, but like um, the first AD, second AD, Mm -hmm. third AD, Tads, they call them. But like, a lot of these people were probably you were seeing every day taking care of you and, and getting your food and totally, bringing yeah. you to different places. Is there someone that you remember like, you know, they this was someone that was a good egg who took care of us? I mean, so many. And so I many. feel I often really try in interviews, like highlight the crew that not only did I was I great friends with all the fellow cast, but I had incredible friends within the crew too. And it was working around those people, kind of how I said at the beginning of like being really inspired by people's technical skills and and craft was why I then ended up going to film school was really because I was amongst these incredible people who were so good at what they were doing. Um, And I could notice even in the scale of the 10 films, you know, you could see camera trainees working their way through the camera department, or you could see people who started as little, you know, just small assistants in the production design department and working their way up to, you know, drafts people or whatever. So it was really amazing to see how you could move through and you could grow. Um, When I was just playing one character, it was nice to see like people grow through those films and get a lot back. Um, And yeah, I mean, there were always, you know, there's obviously some people you spend a lot more time with, whether that's kind of the makeup and hair department or the costume department. But I, I mean, I spent a lot of my spare time when I wasn't filming or doing school work uh, in a lot of the other departments. So I spent a lot of time doing different like work experience or projects that I had to do for school, but trying to actually do them within the departments. So, and I was so grateful that people had the time for me and they answered all my curious questions. Um, And you just don't, you know, you don't get that always. People don't have the time to give that necessarily. It's film school. Yeah. It's film. You're going to film school while working on your film in in the film. (laughs) So it's like you're, and and yeah, the fact that those people gave you the time and helped you and 
I mean, that's the best experience. That's the best experience I had. You know, when I was at a plane, that's a plane. That's all right. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. If you want to save money, listen up. <laughs> I don't know how, how to tell you this other than f- this really works. Ryan went through this. Mm-hmm. We have so many unwanted subscriptions that we forget we have. And, uh, you know, there's so many apps nowadays that we just get lost. And, you know, I'm not very app savvy. And, you know, I'll watch a streamer. And then the next thing I know, I forget that I just watched one show and I'm still subscribed to this after six months with Rocket Money. They take care of you. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Why don't you say... Did you know that nearly 75% and end at... Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about? Yeah, I'm one of those people, Ryan. And between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it's never ending. Thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. With Rocket Money, I have full control over my subscriptions and a clear view of my expenses. I could see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, Rocket Money can help me cancel it with just a few taps. I love the dashboard and how it shows me this month's spending compared to last month. I like doing that. Uh, so I can clearly see my spending habits. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions. That's simply astonishing. Saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. Inside of you is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm-hmm. Um, look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money. And, you know, Factor Meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are. It's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. And that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's, it's perfect for my lifestyle. And I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um, yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. 
Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factormeals.com slash inside50 and use code inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. I remember, you know, being on shows and asking the DP, it's like, hey, what, what lens are you on now? You're on mm-hmm. a 100. So, so what is that? Well, it's, you know, it, you're getting a, it, the background's more out of focus. And what you're doing is it's, everybody looks good, cause, but here's why. It's a long mm-hmm. lens and, you know, and, and this is how many feet away is, is the ideal. Just like all these little things and how do you do a wraparound? How do you cross the line? All these film things. And I, I learned it on set. I never went to film school. I learned year after year, day after day, taking an interest, directing an episode on the, of the show, and and it is it's just a crash course in film, and it's just awesome that you did that. Yeah, it was incredible, and so yeah, just so pleased that I had the opportunity to do that, and I'm so pleased that I was interested at the mm-hmm. time because I could have like just passed me by, and I was like, wow, I just was working alongside the like greatest people in their field, you know, yeah. on that. Cause we, we did luckily have some of the best technically, you know, uh, experienced people and obviously actors as well. So it was like the ultimate, you know, watch, listen kind of skills that I yeah. picked up on. All right. Who's the most intimidating? <laughs> Robbie Coltrane, Alan Rickman, Richard Harris, Michael Gambone, Who's who, who's the, uh, who's the oh, most intimidating? When they walked um, on set, you're like, oh boy. I think at first Alan Rickman, um, because he was so Snape, you know, he wanted us to fear him, um, and it, he did a very good job at it. But you could tell that he was kind of having fun with it too, which I then later kind of realized as I kind of grew up, I was like, wait a minute, you're like definitely you know enjoying this kind of thing. And actually, when you, I had the confidence to speak to him, he was such a like soft and lovely human that being. That voice. Yeah. Can you still hear that voice? It's so deep. And, yeah. What are you doing? Or some, it was yeah. like a deep, I can't even do it. I know, you'd be like, huh, as you passed him in the uh, hallway. Did he and ever then, do funny things like just quickly, just kind of huh, look at he you? Or would just say things in a really snape voice, like, um, but using my name in a sentence, you know, you're like, oh my gosh. Um, and then Michael, <laughs> Michael Gambon was like, he was kind of the same. Like you think he's really scary. And at first you're like, oh, Dumbledore, you know, but then he too had this very soft, like humorous, like cheeky nature to, to him too, which like upon having the opportunity to have more scenes, you know, with him that weren't like massive great hall scenes, you're like, oh, you're like. You're fine. You know, you're human too. Right. So that was always fun. Um, when that, you, you still have, you know, you still definitely hold them on this pedestal, but they kind of, you know, they soften and become more human. Sure. Like, yeah. Who was, who took their work most seriously? The, they were, they just were in the zone always. They stayed in their character or they, you know, they, they were friendly or whatever, but they were in their character that you can remember. They go, oh, okay. I mean, when on set, Alan Rickman would definitely be very in his character. I would say um, 
Who else? Uh, Maggie Smith. I was just going to say Maggie Smith. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I don't. I feel like because we spent so much time with them, you know, there's moments and memories Ray where Fiennes. they weren't, and they. Oh yeah, Ray Fiennes was the most chilling like actor to work around ever, just because like he he, he was he has you know he had to be. So he wasn't so, having like he wasn't funny and making jokes. No, no, and no, no. I he, mean a li- little bit, but in in a kind of like Voldemort way, if that makes sense. Right. So you were kind of like, oh shit. Yeah. I mean, I remember there was one um, scene that I had in the last film. Um, that was kind of during the Battle of Hogwarts and we're all in this courtyard scene and, you know, we, we for a moment, like, think Harry is dead and he's just, like, basically playing and toying with me as I'm kind of, like, calling out and worried about Harry. And it was just, like, terrifying. Like, the scene was just almost, like, he gave so much that it was so fun to act alongside because it was just, like, you had been given, like, just the most incredible performance that you just were, like, you know, was was the director did did you feel like he got very little direction he just they let him do what he was doing yeah i one i feel like i'm sure he was probably the type of actor that would like go kind of quietly and speak to the director rather than in that kind what of what am i space. doing wrong what yeah, do you want me to do just cuz he wouldn't want to break the character to everyone else you know right, yeah. kind of thing oh. um and just be raped asking you know david yates like how was that you know um but I'm sure he probably didn't need that much direction. Like he probably was, not. you know, from you know he was the, the beginning, he was like perfect for that role. Yeah. What about Gary Oldman? Do you remember Gary Oldman? You know, I sadly didn't get to be in many scenes with him, and I love, love. him. He's, my He's just incredible as an actor. And I just Sirius Black. I was just so sad when he, you know, when I read that in the books when he like died i was so sad he was such a like hopeful character for harry to to actually have someone right um so i was saddened and also just sad because we wouldn't get to see much of gary oldman after that I moment i love gary oldman and he's just lovely yeah so um i don't really i only really met him offset to be honest really, right not, not really in character I, I brought him pizza once <laughs> we hung out uh the guy who cuts my hair and uh i walk in and there's gary going there for years and I hadn't met Gary before I met him when he was with Isabella Rossellini when they were married back in the day and I was like <clears throat> no money living in uh, one bedroom with three guys in New York and my buddy was working at this place Carmine's mm-hmm. in New York this Italian restaurant it's like 11 30 at night he goes hey Rosie uh he calls me and he says your hero's here <laughs> and I go what he goes Gary Oldman and Isabella Rossellini they're here they're eating I go I'll be there I had no money. I took a cab, went across town, and I waited till they were done. And I'm like 21, mm-hmm. 22. And I just finally went, I'm like, hey, I just, I had to say hello. I'm so sorry to interrupt. Miss Rossellini, big fan. Gary, Mr. Oldman, I'm I'm just a huge fan. Um, I'm an actor. And um, he goes, where are you from? And I go, <laughs> well, I went to college in Kentucky. He goes, Kentucky. I think I've flown over there on my way out to Lambert's. <laughs> and then he laughed and Isabella kind of smiled at him and goes, Gary, you know, whatever. And he goes, you're an actor. I said, yeah. He goes, you want to work with me? I said, yeah. He goes, he grabs my hand and he gives this long beat and looks in my eyes and goes, you will. Wow. You go. will. <laughs> and, and then fast forward, I had him sign that 
my Dracula. I have crossed oceans of time to oh, find you. <laughs> but I brought him pizza once, and, and he's the sweetest guy. And, yeah, you know, it's, really they always lovely. say don't meet your heroes, but yeah. I'm glad I did. That's good. He was great. Um, I know it's probably a tough subject, but, like, Robbie Coltrane, when he when mm-hmm. he passed, that's got to that, – were you close with him? Yeah, he was – he was he was the definitely he was so ready and open to be him you know i feel like it took a lot longer sometimes with the other adult actors to be like okay they're down to like talk to us you know robbie was always like hagrid you know he's that like uncle that you want to have that like perfect teacher that kind of someone to lean on just fun just like lovely warm fun and, you know, just would be like, had such good memory of like, you would tell him stories and he would like remember them, you know, years later and just wow. really know you and get to know everyone. He was just a very loving, giving person that had just such a big heart. And Hagrid was always one of actually my favorite characters in the book. Um, and he just, just did such great justice to that character. And... It was so, yeah, I mean, all of us were were so sad because we did spend a really lot of time with him. He always had so much time for you. And that was always so nice and always made you feel, you know, not like a child or not, you know, not that anyone really did. I think that's what made us grow up in a good way. But yeah, we were, it was really sad to to hear that he had passed. And Were you surprised? Did you know anything about his sickness? I did a little bit, not like in full detail, but I definitely, you know, having seen him quite recently when we shot the the reunion thing, the like the Harry Potter reunion thing we mm-hmm. did, um, that was the last time I saw him. And yeah, I mean, he kind of... You could tell shared, something. Sort of, yeah, you could tell that and, you know, shared that he wasn't 100%. Um, so it was, I mean, too soon for him, but it was sad. And But I'm so grateful that I did really get to know him and spend a lot of time. Uh, with him as we all did he was very like loved to like chat to the kids and what are you know what what are you all, what are you all talking about thinking about like he wanted to be down with everyone right he wanted yeah. to feel young hey yeah guys, for sure <laughs> was he the one that you remember out of all the adults the adult actors that that were there that you felt was the most fun to be around or um were there someone else so anyone else that you really felt comfortable with he definitely yeah was very much on the top of that kind of being comfortable and warm and giving. And I obviously spent a lot of time with Julie Walters and Mark Williams being my parents. And we had so many scenes in the Weasley home and I definitely got very close with them and felt very at home with them. Uh, So that was always really nice. You know, I feel, you know, I'm reflecting on the whole series and journey. I'm so grateful that I was a Weasley because I got all these other scenes that weren't just being kind of a Gryffindor and a Hogwarts, but we had like all these additional family family scenes. And I think the the kind of um what they represented the weasley family and the kind of good morals that they presented were like a lovely to be like a part of yeah and it's awesome that you like even after like you got to do video games mm-hmm. and you did the rides at universal yes yeah i mean how cool is that it's like the gift that keeps I on know. giving Forever you know going. you go to the cons where i mm-hmm. met you and you meet the fans and it's like been all these years and it's just like it's so cool but now it's cooler is all the stuff you're doing now all the stuff that you were working on working towards getting tutored on set and then going to uh college university mm-hmm. film school getting a degree and now you know directing and producing your own stuff and you mm-hmm. directed you know, some really good stuff. Like, you know, went to Tribeca, one went to Cannes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, what? <laughs> that's like big stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, you directed like 
actors like Jason Isaacs, who was also in the Harry Potters. Mm-hmm. Had, like, did you just call him one day and say, hey? I've got a role for you. <laughs> yeah. The first person I asked to be in something, you know, was the first piece I made uh, with that was my basically my graduation film with David Thewlis. And I like mm-hmm. really had kind of written this role sort of for him, you know, in mind. And I was so nervous to ask him. But, you know, I very much, my mom was like, the worst thing he can say is no. Right. Like, you've got to ask, you know. Yeah. So I remember we were actually, a group of us were in New York um, promoting uh, a Harry Potter exhibition that was opening. Um, and he was there. And I was like, okay, this is, this is my opportunity, you know. And so I kind of explained to him about it and and everything he's like well yeah do you have do you want to give me the script and look i'm really honest if i don't if the character doesn't speak to me and i don't like the script like you know i'm probably gonna say no look i'm going to say no is what i'm I'm gonna say no because the script's probably terrible (laughs) right i was like okay cool no pressure i hope the script is good and i remember like i split he was like yeah i like slid it through his like hotel like you know under his door or whatever and then he liked the script how long did it take him to read it not that long. I think he got back to me in like two weeks or something like that. And I was just like, oh gosh, now I actually have to direct him. You know, I was like so nervous, like to direct someone who's been, you know, so experienced. But again, what was so lovely is he was willing and ready to, you know, and wanted me to thrive in that experience. And so he was just very, just yeah, giving, I think, and patient and just like, you know, direct me like, this is all good. Like, let's go. You know, what's difficult, I think, is when I've directed things, I I feel like there's this pressure you put on yourself Mm -hmm. that I have to be great. I have to prove to them that I'm worthy, that I could do this. I want everybody to see that I am capable, that I am competent. And when you can just relax and just know that you're competent, and of course, Mm -hmm. that takes time like anything else. But it's that that stuff that I'm like, stop, stop worrying about that. What story do you want to tell? Mm-hmm. What is important to you? What, you know, enjoy these moments instead of worrying so Definitely. much about, because there's going to always be people who hate whatever you do. Mm-hmm. And so how do you deal with that? Yeah, I think it kind of ebbs and flows. And, and sometimes it doesn't, it comes up for me way more on projects than others. Um, and if I, if it's been a bit of a longer gap between a project, I am a bit like, oh, like this is a kind of uncomfortable moment as I kind of try on that kind of role again. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's always that, you know, if you obsess too much about thinking you need to be the leader of this group and like, let's go, you know, I've got all the ideas and I know everything, then you're not, it's going to be stressful, like you say. Mm -hmm. But if you just focus on, the script, the story, just that scene. Also, just really lean on the people you're collaborating with. You know, you've you've hired and and them for a reason when yeah. it comes to these other people. Um, so, and I think the best lesson I learned too is I often used to think like I need the answer right now, or I need to interpret like how that take went and quickly now give my direction. Like right. you know, and need to always have it fully formed. And I think the best thing I learn is just know and be okay with moments where I'm like. Let's just take a couple of minutes. Like, I'm just going to think before I say and not just immediately give a direction that I'm like, actually, no, that's not what I meant. But in that pressure, I kind of said something. Mm -hmm. So I feel like taking my time and not, and being vulnerable, I think is the best thing to do. You know, like, care. Yeah. And so that people, people will be much more, I feel like, trust you if you're like, you know what, actually, I'm not sure what we're going to do next, but I just need a second. Um, Let's talk about it. Like, you know, do this rather than, 
kind of giving like really confusing direction that like I don't think she knows what she wants you know so those yeah. have been good moments but you know there's definitely been moments where i haven't taken those beats and pauses and i have felt incompetent you know stressed and <laughs> yeah incompetent. I've, I've done that too and just out of my body like not in yes, the like, day yes yeah. disassociation like it's mm -hmm. almost like you know it's like yeah yeah because you want people to think you know what you're doing mm -hmm. and that moment where you just say you know scorsese i read somewhere that he inside of you is brought to you by nutrafol Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. And look, hair thinning impacts a lot of us, myself included. In fact, over half of us will experience hair thinning at some point in our lives. It's not only common, it's normal. Join over 1 million people who are doing something about it with Nutrafol. Nutrafol helps support hair growth from within by targeting possible key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and even metabolism. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started seeing a little more of your scalp? Has menopause impacted your hormones and your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many possible root causes at play, and Nutrafol helps address them through a multi-targeted, whole body approach. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical studies, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In Nutrafol's own clinical study, 72% of men saw more scalp coverage after taking Nutrafol men's hair growth supplement for six months, and 86% of women saw improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplements for six months. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific possible root causes. With Nutrafol, getting help building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. You could see results in three to six months. Take the first step to help you see visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter promo code INSIDE. Find out why 4,500 professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L, Dot com promo code inside that's nutrafol.com promo code inside inside of you is brought to you by neurohacker qualia senolytic let me tell you something if you haven't tried this you are missing out i just sent this to my mom i have it i use it it's a product that i didn't I, they weren't even my sponsor when i was using this and i was like wow why do i have more focus or energy why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Synaletic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. 
but uh, I tried quaiocinolytic and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, quaiocinolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And... You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Quiacinolytic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have, I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that. And uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this. So that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Inside of you is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synaletic. I just sent some of this to my mother and she's starting to notice the differences mm-hmm. in herself. And, she, and because I noticed my mother was always had brain fog and, and she couldn't think clearly. And, and, you know, and, and I, I was like, well, this stuff works for me. And what's great is I didn't even, they weren't even a sponsor when I started using this. Um, Have you heard of Synaletics yet? Well, listen, it's a class of ingredients discovered less than 10 years ago, and they're being called one of the biggest discoveries of our time for helping to promote healthy aging and helping to enhance your physical prime. Your life goals in your career and beyond require productivity. But let's be honest, the aging process is not our friend when it comes to endless energy and productivity. That's why I use Qualia Senolytic. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, hello, sluggish mental and physical energy, hello, associated with that middle age feeling, hello. Also known as zombie cells, they are old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And you just take it two days a month. That's it. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all ingredients together. And they must believe in their product because they have a 100-day money-back guarantee. It's pretty amazing. I felt higher energies. Uh, I feel uh, more focused. Um, Younger. I have to say, because a lot of these things make me feel younger. I feel more uh, productivity happening in my life, a little more enthusiastic. Help resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 
15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's episode. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The products and statements are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You will sometimes just take, I need 10 minutes. Yeah. I'll go sure. to his trailer. I'll sit down. I'll mm-hmm. think about things. And, you know, he'll meditate and sort of on the idea and then come back and be ready to go. Um, yeah. Because so. there's some people could be holding and waiting on your word. You know, it's like uh, you yeah. become kind of frozen in those moments. Yeah. yeah. And also I wonder, like you said, vulnerability. It's like being honest with somebody to say, um, what do you want me to do? And, I, you know, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not sure at this moment. Mm-hmm. Give me a beat. Um, let me think about that. You know, let me let me think about that. I'm not going to give you some answer that you just that I'm not even yeah. I'm not confident. In. And I would want that too as I speak to like a DP or a production designer, I would want them to say that to me, mm-hmm. not like give me a quick answer that I'm like that's not that doesn't feel like a good idea or that doesn't feel like a you idea. You know, I would I would like that given back to me, I think. Of course, of course says he said something and I said, "Uh, what do you want me to do?" He goes, "No, I don't know." I'd be like, <laughs> What? You're Martin <laughs> Scorsese. Um, you published a book. Yes. What do I mean? Do you just want to do everything? <laughs> Is there anything you don't want? Now you're doing a documentary that yeah. you're producing and directing, right? Yeah. When does that start? Uh, we start filming in like three weeks. And what's it about? Can you tell? Yeah, so it's kind of based on my book, Go Gently. It's probably going to have a similar type title. Go Gently, Actionable Steps to Nurture Yourself and the Planet. That's it. Yeah, so that came out last year. And essentially, the book is about individual actions that we can be taking around the climate crisis and making really large, scary, big, overwhelming topics feel kind of like they relate to our day to day life and seeing how we kind of fit in the broader picture and how we can be more informed with the choices we make through what we consume or how we live and things like that. Um, So the show is actually going to be not about the individual kind of action and more about the collective and community-based action. So I'm basically taking a road trip from Los Angeles to Portland, meeting a broad, broad spectrum of people, all kind of doing something for their community, the climate, um, or just kind of having a great relationship to nature. And the show, I essentially wanted to make a show that made us think and believe that humans are great and we can do amazing things rather than the many documentaries that already exist out there that talk about, you know, the the serious kind of terrifying truths of the climate crisis. I wanted it to be more about a celebration of humans and it. how I we can be it. good. So, yes, it's going to be th- like a four week road trip, um, meeting a lot of different people, staying in places from camping to, um, you know, hotels to wherever. And um, essentially just also just celebrating the beautiful landscapes we're going to go through. You know something? I, I I was just thinking about this. It's like we, the proverbial we, um, we see a fire. And what do we do? We put it out, right? Mm-hmm. But we put it out because right now we see that it's burning something down. It's um, having a negative effect on whatever, it, you know, in simplest terms. Uh but the environment is pretty much on fire. It's always on fire, mm-hmm. you know. And but it, we don't. See, if we don't see the fire, we assume it's. Um, it's like what I'm trying to say is it's almost like we're, let's live in today. 
we have to take care of today. We can't worry about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so environment is so it's so important and the pollution and the plastics and all these things. And, you know, I'm not great either. I'm, I'm good, but I, I could be a lot better. And it's just like, I don't know why it's not implemented in, in high schools, grade schools, like just really part of the curriculum mm-hmm. of like, this is what we do. This is how we operate. And we're, we're taking so long technologically to adapt to this situation or sort of like, mm-hmm. you know, the, we don't see that the planet's in crisis unless you're a scientist, unless you believe science, unless you, right? So I guess it's like, how do you get people to really back it? And you do documentaries, you mm-hmm. write books, you do this. And it's like, it's like, you just got to keep waking people up and saying, you can actually help. Mm-hmm. If there's more of you, Bonnie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I think like what you say, like if, if you bring it home and whether that has to be through someone else's story, who's been more directly affected and on the front lines of a crisis of, of climate, you know, whether that's a hurricane, a typhoon, a, you know, a wildfire or exposure to toxins like has just happened in the train crash in, in Ohio. Like if if you see a story that's like, oh, that's just 10 miles from my house or someone I know's house, like as these stories sadly are going to come closer to our sphere and vicinity, then, you know, we are more likely to react. Like, mm-hmm. however well you can tell a story of someone far away experiencing something or, you know, distant marine ecology suffering from microplastics, like that is quite far and hard to like actually put into a scale that we comprehend. But I think as stories are told, you know, documentary or narratively, and it brings some emotion about, like we will then more interact because as much as obviously science is kind of that core pillar like sometimes the way it's described is not a way that like we can kind of get around or emote Mm. or like understand so I think that's what I am drawn to like how do we bring in the humanism and the emotions to these things so that they become people even if they're an animal like they become people um so and I think that's the power of like storytelling and um and I think people are more, yeah, just how we work as human beings, like how, you know, sometimes we need to be tricked into certain things to do them. For instance, like if you incentivized actions that you could take to better your environment, you probably would do it rather than just doing it for the sake of it. You know, when you put in charges on plastic bags in the grocery store or, you know, certain things like that, or you yeah. get sort of tax credits or rebates for doing certain things like we we just are we work that way if we get incentivized by something and we get kind of the it's like a child we we are all children it's like would you like an ice cream if you you clean your room you'll get an ice cream (laughs) (laughs) and i think that's what you know it's unfortunate about the government and when we can feel like oh we're not moving fast enough like there's only so much we can bully and feel bad about as individuals when really those in power are not doing enough, you know, and they're mm-hmm. not acting in the emergency state that we need to act. So it's always that push pull, I think, of how terrible we can feel on our own. Like, I feel like there's only so far you can spiral into that kind of doomism when it's just not helpful. You know, you have to kind of like. That's smart. Like, that makes perfect uh, sense. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, I love it. I love that you're doing that. I love that you're so serious about it and you just don't stop. I mean, <laughs> working with Greenpeace and it just keeps building. And I know you traveled and, you know, um, looking out the oceans and the plastics mm -hmm. and all the things that are happening. And it's just, it's a lot to take on along with your career, mm -hmm. but you're also like, Hey, this is part of my life. Part of my career mm -hmm. is doing this and making documentaries and writing books and mm -hmm. awesome. Awesome. <laughs> All right. This is called shit talking with Bonnie, Wright. These are rapid fire. These okay. are for my patrons. They're awesome. I love you guys. They support the show. They really give back and keep the show going. Uh, Patreon.com slash inside of you to join. Uh, here we go. Ray H. What has been the most challenging thing to work on? Ooh, um, well, probably honestly still Harry Potter, even though like, I think in perspective. Yeah, it was a massive challenge. 10 years stamina. Stamina. <laughs> yeah. I think when you're a kid, you don't even realize when you're young, you no. can power through shit. I was like, I'm fine. Now man. I'm like, yeah. Hey, On perspective, do... I'm like, wow, that was pretty hard. Oh my gosh. And imagine being hairy. Yeah. I can't even imagine. That. Oh my gosh. Pressure. That's daunting, right? I guess as a kid, you're excited and you're just like, oh, where do I go next? Where do I go next? And then all of a sudden you get old and you're like, oh my God, that was when I was, I could do it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anybody could do. Well, people do it. I just don't. I just couldn't do it. Sophie M., can you tell us about your audition? We already talked about that. Sorry, Sophie. Alan Rickman. Did Alan Rickman have an intimidating presence? We we talked about that. So <laughs> I'm just mentioning your name. Your name is Alan Rickman. The guy's name, I think, is Alan Rickman. Wow. It can't be, but that's what that's what Bryce has on there. Was there anyone else that you were afraid to work with? Not that you were afraid to work with him, but were kind of. Uh, well, yeah, I you think after we Gim. spoke about Ray Fiennes now, I'm like, yeah, it was pretty terrifying. Maggie, she was kind of serious. Yeah, she was definitely serious. Yeah. Tom N., who had the best practical jokes on the set of Harry Potter? Oh, definitely James and Oliver Phelps. Really? Yeah. I mean, they were them, you know. They Are you were... going on their travel show? I went on the first season. You yeah, did. As, as I'm going to go season. on the next oh, good, season. They asked good, me good, to do good. it. So they have this awesome track. Yeah, What's the so show fun. called? Fantastic Friends. Fantastic Friends. Guys, go You'll look for that. I'm promoting time. it because I love those guys. Mm -hmm. Good shout out to Dan. I might do a show, uh, my own show cool. with Dan. And mm -hmm. so uh, it'll be cool too. I'm trying to get my buddy John Heater to join me. Um, Julie Jules, if you had creative control over Ginny's role in the H, uh, Harry Potter franchise, what would you have liked to see? or imagine she would have done if she had a larger role. I mean, we talked about that, but like, what's the one thing you think of? Oh, so many things. I mean, I think her development and relationship with Harry, like there's in the book, there are all these little kind of moments that build up to it and like give it reason. Um, so just those nuanced moments of like their relationship developing would have been great. Um, I also feel like, there were many more scenes kind of showing this kind of like confidence of her, which is like through the Dumbledore's army scenes or loads of Quidditch she was in. Mm -hmm. Obviously, she becomes a professional Quidditch player in her later life. So uh, I think they would have helped. Maya P, what is it like directing actors? We, well, we worked with as a child. I mean, pretty scary, but well, yeah, pretty. Uh, but she did it. I was pretty honored. Yes. Do you know there was a, a play? My friend Troy Rudolph told me this. There was a two part stage play. It's 19 years later, mm -hmm. after Harry Potter, after the epilogue, I guess. And your second child goes to Hogwarts and shows difficulties he has with his parents and his adventures uh, that they go on. There's controversy with the play. Did you ever hear about that? The Cursed Child play? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it will... I don't know. Did you see it? Oh, no. no. But yeah, it's um I've seen it. It's um I saw it with the original cast in London when it was first on. I mean, it, I mean, it was part of the... 
it obviously it was written by someone else who wrote the book as a play and lots of people read the book and then it was kind of okay to sort of go into production and J.K. Rowling kind of was a supporting kind of producer or some role on it. Um, and the biggest question that everyone wants to know is, are they going to be making like a yeah, TV film like, yeah. version of it? And I don't know Would any you like more that? intel. I mean, it would be pretty fun because also the characters, you know, it's really about the children. It's not about our characters. So it wouldn't be a massive role. It right. would be really about right, like right. these kids and the new generation. But there's of some, there's part. You, he, totally, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But it would be, it wouldn't, it would just be more of a kind of adventure. Yeah. So it would be fun. Um, I, but I have no idea if they'll do it. All politics aside, mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling and um, what do you think of her as a creator, as an author, as um? Yeah, that's a lovely question. I think brilliance. I mean, you know, she created this incredible world that was so deeply layered um, and just a joy to be a part of. Like there was just so much material in those books to help you create this magical world. And when I go back and like read the first book or watch the first movie, it's just like, wow, like this is just like exactly what you want stories to be like to fully escape into this like entirely built world that is like solid and real and i think it's really from you know i i'm a big lover of you know the genre of fantasy or sci-fi and and those kind of things so to actually see someone like achieve a world that's fully like you're absorbed in is really cool do you I guess it's like, don't you kind of wish, I think a lot of people wish that if they go to London, if they go to England, (laughs) it it, it was Harry Potter world. Everywhere. It it just, oh, it looks like, (laughs) is that based on old England and things like that? Pretty much is, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, like. fantasy probably. Yeah. Like obviously like, like, I don't know, like the the shopping kind of street, like Diagon Alley and those kind of things, you know, there are little kind of cobbled streets of old shops that exist in London that you're like, this is the inspiration or all small towns that exist like that. So it doesn't feel, yeah, very steeped in that kind of history and architecture, but just in a more odd, odd kind of magical, mystical way. Um, But I love that London is, is really a part of, the films mm-hmm. having you know i'm a londoner grew up in london and i love seeing those scenes um in in the films particularly like some moments where they're just like flying on broomsticks like down the thames <laughs> like, you're like yeah hell? sure what's your favorite film out of all of them and Ooh. what is and lastly what is your favorite moment for you as Ooh. a character um my favorite film Personally, I loved filming the Chamber of Secrets, the second, because that was like a massive step up for my character. And then I loved Deathly Hallows Part 2 because it had all the Hogwarts battle sequences. And I always loved those kind of high energy moments. And there was like a lot at stake. And sadly, quite a lot of characters died. So it was like very emotional. Um, so that was really fun, That even though it was the last film. So it was kind of sad knowing it was coming to an end. Um, but pe- like personally, but then story-wise, I always loved The Order of the Phoenix, um, which is the fifth one. Um, I feel like every day there's like a different mood. You're like, oh no, I love the Goblet of Fire when you're, you right. know. Um, but favorite moment. Ooh, um, that's hard. You don't have to give <laughs> I me a point. I mean, there's a lot of moments. A favorite moment, just because I was like excited to be in the middle of the scene. There's this great scene in the Battle of Hogwarts where basically like Bellatrix Lestrange like goes for me and Mrs. Weasley sort of like stands in my way and they have this little like 
you know, moment that's written so well. You know, there's this great line, she, Mrs. Weasley and Julie was so excited to say, which is like, stay away from my daughter, you bitch, or something <laughs> like that. And like, in the weeks like leading up to knowing that they were going to film this scene, you know, you could tell they were like, you know, I've, you know, they were like winding each other up and getting each other really excited yeah, yeah. to this scene. And I was just so excited to be in the middle of it. That's awesome. Um, and they had fun with it and it was good. Yeah. Uh, you do any impressions? Uh, not really. Not one? Maybe like of who? <laughs> what? Maybe. Come on, try one. <laughs> of of what? Of who? Um, can you do an impression of Maggie? Um... <laughs> Ronald Weasley. She says something like that. Like, 10 points from Gryffindor. Do it again. No, that's good. Do it again. Uh, I love that. I love, I love that. I do the roll of the R's again. Ronald Weasley, you're late again. <laughs> that's so good. Do you like doing accents and things and goofing I do. Around? When I was younger, I was like obsessed with accents. Like I loved accents. My mum's side of the family all live in Australia. Can you do one? And so I used to love, like, I used to be obsessed with Australia. Like, I was like, why do we live in London? We can live at the beach. Like, yeah. what are we doing? And so every time we were in Australia, I would, like, have this accent. And I'd be, like, trying to, you know, be Australian. And my brother's like, shut, like, you're not from here. You know, I was like, stop, you know, like, ruining my, my, um, my character. <laughs> and then my dad is from Leeds, which is where Matthew's Matthew. from. Matthew, And I've been so there. I used to love doing a northern accent. Well, let me hear and all in my Leeds. Cousins. I wouldn't even know. Um... I used to, like, my cousins used to just be the fun. They'd be all, like, long, long words. Like, mom, no, I don't want to do that. Like, you speak like this. Like, where are you going? What are you having? It's what everyone, what are you having? People say when it was, like, what are you having for dinner or something. Or, like, it's just slower. <laughs> yeah, very slow. Nice, like, long, elongated. I remember him, like, there was this band, the Arctic Monkeys. That he oh, yes. loves the Arctic yeah. Monkeys. <laughs> And he, I was, I was like, "Who's this?" He's like, "Octic monkeys." Arctic the way monkeys. he said it, I remember. He goes, "Octic monkeys." <laughs> what <laughs> the? What the? The Arctic monkeys, or whatever. How he said it, he's gonna get mad at me because I don't. He goes, "I don't sound like that." Um, this has been a treat. Did you have fun? <laughs> I did. I told you, you have fun. It's it's uh, it's easy. It's easy with you. It's easy with me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. Oh, what's your handle? Oh, at this is. Be right. At this is be right. Follow her if you haven't already followed her. She's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Shrink the Books is back for a brand new season. This is the podcast where we put our favorite fictional TV characters into therapy. Join me, Ben Bailey-Smith, and our brand new psychotherapist, Namone Metaxas. Hi, Ben. Yes, this season we're going to be putting the likes of Tommy from Peaky Blinders, Cersei from Game of Thrones on the couch to learn why their behavior creates so much drama. So make sure you press the follow button to get new episodes as soon as they land on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Shrink the Books is a Sony Music Entertainment original podcast. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. What you see is what you get Yeah, with Bonnie. Uh, she's no BS. Mm-mm. When you meet her, she's kind. and not, But she's like, you know, I'm not, you know, she doesn't put up with bullshit. Mm-mm. So why, why would you? 
And she's uh, she's smart. She directs, she acts, she does it all. And uh, it was a treat having her here in the studio. Thanks for your time, Bonnie. I really appreciate you. And again, if you like the podcast, please subscribe, write a review, helps the podcast. And if you missed out on something, I say all the stuff in the intro, patreon.com slash inside of you that really patrons save the show. So join that and support the podcast. You get so many perks for Patreon. Um, one of which are your names mentioned at the end of every episode. Uh, Zooms with me on occasion. Uh, YouTube lives. We do private YouTube lives where I play some music and we, you guys ask me anything you want. Um, you get to ask questions for the shit talking segment. There's so many perks and it's become a real community and people really love each other and um, join because you're really saving the show. Patreon.com slash inside of you. Uh, let's get to the top tiers. Ryan, I liked how this worked. Yeah. Uh, let's and try it again. I like looking at the names too. All right, here we go. It's nice for me. I'm going to do a voice and he has to repeat the voice and you guys tell me if Ryan does a oh, good God. job. <clears throat> Posture. Nancy D. Leah S. Kristen. <laughs> Little Lisa Yukiko. Jill E. Brian H. Nico P. Robert B. Jason W. Sophie M. See, that was pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Raj C. Joshua D. Jennifer N. Stacy L. Jamal F. <laughs> Janelle B. Mike A.L. Dan Sabramo, 99 more, San Diego M. Chad W. Leanne P. Maddie S. Belinda M. Dave H. Sheila G. Brad D. Ray H. Tabitha D. Forbes Banquet Beer. I've got diabetes. If you're suffering from diabetes, get yourself a bowl of Quaker Oats right now. <laughs> uh, Tom N, Talia M, Betsy D, Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Dev Nexon, Michelle A, Jeremy C, Brandy D, Charlie M, Eugene Leia, Corey, Jake B, Angela F, Mel S, Christine S, Eric H, Shane R. Andrew M. Tim L. Tim L. Amanda R. Jen B. Stephanie K. <laughs> Jor L. Jamin J. Leanne J. Luna R. Mm-hmm. Mike L. Stone H. Brian L. Kendall L. Garrison. Jessica B, Kyle F, mm. Marisol P, Kaylee J, Mickey L. <laughs> Brian A, Ashley F, Mary Louise L, Romeo B. Veronica Q, Frank, is, this is, uh, what's Buffalo his face from? Bill from Silence, Silence of the, of the Lambs. Lambs. Frank B. John T, Nikki L, Alan H. April R. Cassie B. Derek N. JDW. Michelle L. Kalmbaum. Kalmbaum. 
I love it. Oh we love you from Michael Rosenbaum here in the Hollywood Hills of California. I'm Ryan Tess. He's Ryan Tess. Let's wave. Hey, guys, be good to yourself. That was a lot of fun. We'll see you next week. All right. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.